0: Hello stranger, welcome to the lineup podcast And welcome to our special presentation of the Murder Chronicles A serialized mystery set in New Orleans Gave you a taste of the case last summer and now we're thrilled to serve up all 12 chapters so let's return to the scene of the crime with jim shirrell bleed it leads photojournalist and the big easy who uncovers one grizzly killing that hits too close to home
1: Talent is a funny thing. Too much or too little can burn a man down. Looking back down the dark alleyway of his life or onto the grand avenues of his future, and there's his name in neon lights. But a few letters always don't shine like they should. My name is Jim Sherl, and I'm looking right now. View from here is pretty good, that is, if you discount the fact I won't be alive very long to enjoy it. But that was only after X, and after the boys who adored their grandmothers, and after the murders that bled the Big Easy, and after Mr. Baffett's with the nothingness for eyes, and after the man with the bag of nine irons, etc., and all the rest. But Mostly it was after this. Me and Cajun Rob that night, fielding codes on the scanner, Midsummer, New Orleans when we copped to an incoming 78 just a few blocks from the crash we'd been filming and high-tailed it over there, assholes and elbows, to find we had beaten 5-0 to the scene. I'd never been inside the shotgun in question, but I knew who lived there as soon as we parked. A man named Vaughn X with a 13-day beard and hair that was shaved artfully at the temples. An ambulance chaser of crime, just like me. Freelance videographers, it said on our cards. We'd been going to night school together, forensics, trying to make what we played at legit. But I didn't kill him, if that's what you're thinking. I just knew enough to know this was his place. Someone was barreling off through the dark by the time we were crossing the street towards the house, and Cajun Rob called out, hey, yo! But the witness or perp or whoever in question didn't even slow down. Before long, he was lost. The crime scene was this, eerie calm. Barking dog, You know, the one you always hear. A couple people down the block were gathering out on their stoops for a gander. Where do you think the cops are? I asked Rob. Pile up on the tin, he said. We stood with absurd deference on the street, waiting for someone inside the shotgun where the murdered man lived to come out and invite us. Fuck it, I said, and walked up the front steps. Granted, it wasn't my style, but so what? There was something about the whole creepy charade that made me feel outside myself, not to mention the fact this was X Chensky's place. The X in his name stood for X marks the spot, and I owed it to him, I suppose, to look-see. We'd never cared for one another. Withstanding that X had an edge in our business, Toyota Forerunner instead of a hatchback, better hookups for airtime at all of the stations, better hair than I had and more of it, just hipper, with a driver named Nettle that lived in St. Roach whose low-top vans were cast in lead and never balked like Cajun Rob when it came to those neutral ground swerves into traffic. The guy just kind of pissed me off. Lately, he'd been MIA, in class and at the scenes of wrecks. I never really questioned why. In fact, I had warmed up to living without him when here I was pouring myself through his door. A door which, oddly, stood half open. The scanner was right. He was dead on the couch. Right there in the front room where he watched TV. He'd been stripped of his clothes and laid out end to end in what seemed a distinctly lascivious fashion, as though he'd been filming a porno for one or preparing to start when his murder befell him. A kitchen knife stood to the hilt in his chest. I didn't want to see his face. Blood spread from the base of the couch on the floor. But since the couch was dark, get this, The couch, and not X, and his death wretchedness seemed to bleed in widening pool towards my feet. There was something unreal about the scene, as though it were staged with the minutest care. Like me and Cajun Rob were here not as men of the press, but as unwitting actors who'd been pushed from the wings of some sinister stage to act out a drama we couldn't imagine. What a way to go, said Rob. We snapped a couple pictures of the body and the blood that we'd have to crop later to hide X's junk. At a glance, there were major appliances missing. A living room, but no TV. Adapter wires free of their terminals dangled. The furniture wasn't overturned. Papers coating the floor like you see in the movies, but the living room did have a disarray to it. Its chair and side tables appointed to stand at angles supremely unkind to Feng Shui. Either X was a terribly shitty homemaker or he had, in the process of dying, been robbed. It was my call to book it outside after that where we could appear to be twiddling our thumbs when the murder cops got to the scene of the crime. There were already blue and red carnival lights cycling over the fronts of the shotguns due south. The night was hot, that Gulf Coast heat that makes your bones feel packed with cotton. The ancient and moss-covered oaks appeared soggy. There was random detritus all over the street. A Popeye's cup, a stripped rib bone, a traffic ticket shredded up. The garbage in the street bin stunk. It would get and stay like this the whole summer long, the city caramelized with the rubbish, as though the very atmosphere discouraged in folks the most basic politeness. Lights from the cop cars flashed over Rob's face, looking off down the block where the figure had vanished. You're thinking what I am, I said. What's that, Rob turned towards me. The lock wasn't busted. So who called the cops? Whoever pig stuck him, I guess, answered Rob. Either that or who found him, I said. We found him, Rob said. You didn't wait for me to answer before. As the cops pulled abreast of the house and got out, I waited in silence for Rob to go on. What a shame, he said, exhaling. He smiled ruefully from the side of his mouth. What a shitty ass shame of a thing for poor Vaughn. In some dim and primordial space of my mind, I had hated Von X out of envy and spite. But even in my reddest hour, I'd never wished his death upon him. Wustoft through the chest with his balls on display on a second-hand couch during hurricane season. If there's a more ignoble way, I'd love to know. I really would. When the beat cops were done taping off the front door and corralling what gawkers there were in the street, Daedou and O'Shea rambled up in their car as long as a trash barge and baby shit beige. O'Shea emerged first in his clearinghouse suit, and as soon as he hit the night air, he lit up. Daedou didn't like him to smoke in the car, and Daedou, who'd been driving as always, came next, growing up from the knees with the grace of those egrets that frequent the waters around City Park. O'Shea was an Irishman, go figure that. He was tall with a gut that poked over his slacks, and his hair was a choir boy's, all sandy and fine, a little thin across the top. Dedue was a light-skinned and long-limbed black woman with an Angela Davis confection of hair. They saw me and Rob to the left of the crowd. O'Shea flapped his hand at me, smoking his nose. You, Shirley Temple, he said. Ven aquí. O'Shea had the rollicking French Quarter accent, which made him sound like he'd washed up here from Brooklyn. He made no secret of the fact that he thought me and Rob to be foul parasites. You shit on my crime scene, he said. Detective, I said. Did you take a shit on my crime scene, he said. Dedue stepped in. He doesn't get out much, she said. Excuse him. How long you two gentlemen been at the scene? We've been at the scene for a minute, said Rob. Cajun Rob was a little bit sweet on her, sure. They were both from these guzzied up French Creole families. Louisiana through and through. They do New Orleans, Cajun Rob Lafayette. It Sometimes left me on the outs when they got going on that stuff, though having they on our side more or less was equal to the awkward moments. Did you enter the house? She said now, taking notes. Uncertain what to say, we didn't. They shit on my crime scene, continued O'Shea. Inundated my life with just barrels of shit. I recall stepping in through the front door at first and seeing the dead guy laid out on the couch. But before I could go any further, I paused and turned to focus on O'Shea. Something, uh, a vision. O'Shea's ugly mug reared up huge in my mind, and I beat it outside. You're being facetious? Dedue raised her brows. There must have been a sense of humor in some off-duty part of her, hidden from view. But out here, I guess she perceived it as weakness. She had this glitter to her eyes. Well, sort of, I told her, except for the dead guy. A dead guy, said O'Shea. You knew. You knew him too, I responded. We all did, shit. He wasn't my enemy, O'Shea said. That there's the difference. He wasn't my enemy either, I said. We just happened to have the same miserable job. Might as well come inside while we peer into corners. Your footprints are already everywhere, probably. The NOPD was corrupt and non-standard, but tell me a functioning cop force that isn't. Things have gotten better since Katrina, but not much. A new mayor had hawkeyes on all the precincts. Besides, there'd been cutbacks, less cops on the street, which made them make do with the honest contingent. They do in O'Shea where a blessed chimera, principled New Orleans cops, the block had been roped off in several directions. Inside the shotgun was bustling with blue. We saw the same stuff that we'd seen on arrival while O'Shea and DeDu hashed out B and E theories. Cajun Rob hung at the edges of things. I snapped a couple pictures more. These pictures would empty the pot at the stations. Viewer discretion advised, graphic content would run the news banner and people would watch. O'Shea's Dixie Guido patois broke my trance. It does and it doesn't surprise me, he said. West of Esplanade, this is the second this month. You know, what's-her-name's murder. The woman got shot, the one who wore them scrubby things. The social worker, said they do. I could have sworn she was a nurse, O'Shea said. She wore a suit, she said, not scrubs. Whatever you call her, she died on this block. She died on the neutral ground up near North Roman. Neutral, that's a funny word. But Daidou put the kibosh on that with a look. Amelia Kent, that was her name. Poor lady could barely prepare for what hit her. I preach the truth, partner, so listen up good. We got crime coming up in the Treme again. Crime ain't never left the Treme, said Daidou. And this right here is Seventh Ward. Bullshit it is, O'Shea countered. You check the map. I see apples and oranges, baby, he said. O'Shea was a prick but he wasn't far off. New Orleans had homicide mixed in its blood like chicory, bourbon, or anything else. The murder rate had plunged last year when the fearsome Politico mayor took up office, but in these recent months we were seeing a spike. Summer always managed that. In a way, X's death was just more for the pile, added height for the bar graphs, but also it wasn't. A half-empty bottle of Buffalo Trace was spotted on the kitchen counter. A tumbler sat next to it harboring dregs, lip and fingerprints on it assumed to be X. The rug beneath the coffee table in front of the couch had been flipped at the corner as though someone had lurched towards the couch, overturned it, but it had been too rushed to flip it back. Again about that bleeding couch, the cushions were thick, I now realized, eight inches. The blood had stopped spreading, but damn, there was buckets. The wound in X's chest was clean. One way in and one way out, I had heard from Daidou as she studied the corpse. Once they extracted the knife, I imagined, the blood would come rushing like wine through a sieve, but for now it had only seeped out of the torso and pulled in the hollows of X's slim hips, only some of it spilling around to the fabric and far from enough for that lake on the floor. I took a couple private pans at the base of the couch in its bloody oasis, the viewfinder had an uncanny effect on the scale of the mess as compared to the room, and I thought of that sequence from Kubrick's The Shining when the breaker of blood crashes into the hall. In X's in my forensics class, the instructor would scold me for antics like that. Stop trying to be like Cocteau, he would say, and start trying to solve a murder. While Lachey and Daidou were still combing the house, me and Cage and Rob slipped out. We did the post-forensics thing, Switching the point and shoot piece for the handheld and spreading ourselves out to take in more ground. Cajun Rob taking stills of the crowd and saw horses while I went around getting interview clips. Tonight it was typical bystander cud. I didn't hear nothing. No sir, didn't know him. It's a tragedy anyway, dying so young. And then I saw the little kid. He was probably 10 or 11 years old, sitting on the curb across the street from X's shotgun. While most of the crowd had been there rubbernecking, this kid on the curb occupied his own world, reading his phone with his chin on his knees in the tripped motion light of a neighboring house as though he weren't parked at the scene of a murder but an OMVQ or a bench in a mall. I felt myself drawn to the place where he sat. He glanced up at me from the screen of his phone. Then he turned back again. He was playing Drop 7. So what did you think of the guy? I began, intent to throw him off his game. White boy up in there? he said. White boy's dead, you know that, right? I guess I did. His fingers flew. I get them houses there mixed up. The houses? I asked him. Got white folk inside them. Bunch of them all down this block. They got black folk on Priora, white folk on North Roman, black folk on Durbinia. They call that the cookie. And X was the filling. The cookie, you heard? I hoisted the handheld and switched it to on. If you had to describe him in one word, what was he? He looked up at me for much longer this time. He regarded the camera I held with distaste. You turn that off, I'll tell you what. I did, there wouldn't be a point. You in OPD? You a murder police? He asked. I'm a journalist, I said. Time's Picayune. you? Self-employed. You turn that camera off, he said. We'll talk. I turned off the flashlight, but left it recording. OK, I said. Let's shoot the breeze. He looked back and forth down the emptying block, his fingers poised above his phone. "Bullheaded," he said. Did you know him? I'm saying. What was the bull-headed about, I pressed on. My brother Cleveland knew him better. Where's your brother now, I said. His face contorted. Shit he said you ain't getting after with cleveland this late nobody's bullheaded he ain't after something well here's another way he was guy just didn't know when to shut the fuck up he wiped his phone dark and got up from the curb and without looking back headed off down the block and the derelict gloom in that part of the world with its lamps on the fritz seemed to swallow him up The next night in class was some cringe-worthy shit. X's chair was a grave marker. Nobody sat there. If you knew X, then you'll know this. He loved the crime blotter and loved local news, said Professor Hoeing at the front of the room. I hope it won't be in poor taste. He started to shuffle his papers around. If X were alive, he'd be first on the scene, and he wouldn't be standing here talking about it, which would mean technically that he wouldn't be, well, he considered the place where his logic was leading. He would have made a fine co-worker. Somebody sneezed towards the front of the room and everybody said, God bless you. I was burning eyes tired from the evening before and the world seemed to come at a half-beat delay. Professor Hoeng's face jolted up from his desk. Would anybody like to speak? A young woman with long, dark hair whose good looks I'd noticed in previous classes shouldered her school bag, got up from her desk, and walked from the room in an obvious hurry. It was maybe the tiredness, or that she was pretty in a strange, wistful way born of overworked nerves, but I felt myself moving to follow her out. My body simply up and did. Mr. Sherrill, Hohen was saying. Mr. Sherrill, if you could... Whatever he wanted was lost to the hall. The girl went ahead of me, breaking down, sobbing, one of her hands plastered over her face. She moved at a clip towards the hall's fire escape, where she buckled through the crash bar and dipped down the stairs. Before she reached the first landing, I caught her lightly by the arm. Damn right, she was pretty. Alarmingly so. And yet I take back what I said, because watching her spin in the gray fire escape with her raven-dark hair fanning over her face, I felt that, in fact, I had never once seen her. Not in class or outside. That she'd simply appeared. That here was some beautiful fairy-tale stranger who, ex, the poor fucker toe-tagged in a morgue, had been lucky enough to make weep in his absence. But that sounded like crazy talk hey there classmate you all right i asked i just needed a little air she took out a camel soft pack shook one loose then she fumbled around in her bag for a while on the hunt for a lighter embosed in saints colors and fought with the wheel which was giving her grief i told him that fucker i told him she said her hand fumbling as she worked at the lighter Fuck. she propelled it back into her bag eyes closed Breathing slowly, she sat for a beat before rooting around for the lighter again. By God, she got it going then, exhaling a thick jet of smoke in the stairs. I'd watched all this standing a few steps above her, a grin of embarrassment etched on my face. My hands were still reaching out towards her mid-gesture, some impotent chivalry. Here, let me help, and I awkwardly lowered them into my pockets. Conscious how high up I was, I sat in the stairwell a few steps below her. Can I bum one? I asked her. There's only the lucky, she replied. She shook it loose and lit it for me. How are you two acquainted? She wiped at her eye. We were fucking. I thought that was obvious, no? You're saying you met here in class? Sure we did. She was silent a moment. So you're Jimmy Sherrill. You told me about you, you know? Couldn't stand you. Feeling was mutual, really," I said. That kind of stuff, she twirled her hand, that kind of stuff is always more. She stubbed out her smoke in a grimy corona before plucking mine halfway gone from my hands. Hey, I said in wonderment. I was only just getting a buzz from that thing. No, you weren't. She had me there. I hadn't smoked since seventh grade. He used to get angry about you in class. Inferior competitor, I get it, I said. If anyone was, it was him, and he knew it. That's what bent him out of shape. Now I've heard it all, I said. You don't believe me, you can screw. I considered accepting her offer, I'll tell you. She had this sort of Spanish look. On the really bad nights, he would go on and on. He compared you to, I don't know, prodigy types Louis Guerre and E.J. Belloc, William Mumler, Matthew Brady. He admired you, God bless him. He hated your guts. Matthew Brady posed his corpses. William Mumler was a fraud. But Belloc was someone, she said. Wasn't he? Belloc was interesting. Interesting, huh? Her eyes angled down as she smiled to herself. Don't you want to know my name? I waited for her to pronounce it. She didn't. When you said that you told him, before, I said slowly, what was it exactly you said? Her face flattened. She pitched her butt into the darkness below her. The cherry of it drew my eye, falling end over end in a trailing of sparks, and when I looked back she had reached out her hand and pressed a finger to my lips. Her nails were salon-kept. They smelled of tobacco. Don't go dragging your camera through darkness, I said. We all got enough of our own as it is. She left by the fire escape, spiraling down, the light blue shoulders of her dress marching into the gloom until nothingness took her and even the sound of her footsteps died too, and I sat in the char of our spent cigarettes. I wasn't much the rest of class. An hour or maybe fifteen minutes. I had felt annihilated when I got there that night, eyes burning, limbs sore, mouth retched with coffee. But after my meeting with X's bedfellow, I felt what you might call a rush of alertness. I knew that I wouldn't go home as I should, but rather to X's to put rest to something. As soon as class ended, I drove there, and badly, turning left against the sign and running two red lights en route through Mid-City. Though I knew every pothole, I never slowed once, scraping my chassis to shit on the drop. Adjacent to X, I parked my cord. The sight of the murder was all but unwatched, classic civil understaffing. The tape was still there in its yellow straitjacket. Indeed, the street looked much the same as it had looked the night before, right down to the rib in that torn traffic ticket. I picked up the ticket, torn right through the middle, and turned it around in the glow of the street lamp. I tried to make the license plate, but only the first half had made it intact. LA dash W W J. Then the rip. The violation I could read. Handicap zone without permit. Peering around the adjacent dark streets, I pocketed the orange scrap. There was nothing much doing on the block tonight. A couple of young bloods out horsing around, A middle-aged man on a stoop drinking pop-off, but then again you never knew. New Orleans was quietly ghoulish like that. I remembered the murder O'Shea and Daedou had been talking about while we canvassed the place. The shooting of the social worker, a crime I recalled having heard on the scanner. Suddenly it seemed a shame, what people got used to in just a few weeks. You can go on with life because life would go on, but then again, it didn't really. I ducked beneath the tape, went in. I made for the couch where the corpse had been found. The blood had caked and partway dried. In the cushions were ominous, lumpy impressions. I turned on the light at the top of my phone and scanned the bloodletting that coated the floor. Beyond the edges of the mass, a funny drip pattern had spotted the boards. I lay on my back in the dark living room and probed the couch's underside. My flashlight moved over an S and an N. And an I and a T and a C and an H. Dried and black looking, I took it for blood. The strokes were bold and blood dripped down. The image was twined sloppily on the floor. A lot of it had swirled together. I took a run of pictures then. The lighting was poor and they barely came out. I left the house briskly and ducked through the tape and paused midway upon the steps. A man with long hair, ex's neighbor, was out there. I'd seen him there the night before. He was some kind of stoner, his hair in a gather. He wore tight stonewashed jeans and a pair of black keds, and he was, at that moment, just putting the torch to a huge cone-shaped joint in the palm of his hand. When he saw me, he cupped it and held in the smoke. Make yourself at home, why don't you? I ain't the police, I said. I ain't here to fuck with you. All right, all right. His nose leaked smoke. You want to hit it, baby? Here. He held out the joint, and I took it and nodded. Can I fuck with your high just a little bit more? About last night? Nah, man, not now. I took some rapid, breathy hits. The familiar constriction began on my skull. You were here when it happened, I said, weren't you? He didn't affirm it. I see your domestic. I live with my girlfriend. You with her last night? I guess I must have been, he said. An ounce of this stuff and a girlfriend, I said, is everything you'll ever need. Preach or preach, Now pass that shit. I did, and he focused his wits on the joint. There was only the sound of him sipping, exhaling, the fragrant smoke billowing off of the stoop. He never did make that much noise. Sometimes I heard footsteps, those boots that he wears. And sometimes I heard the TV, but real low. A Couple of times I heard him fucking, grunting and slapping each other like hogs. You see a girl, maybe a guy. It was a girl, that much I know. The night he died, I pushed. I said already, it was some other night and I couldn't hear shit think I'd know we share a wall but someone must have called the cops unless he called the cops himself and I read in the paper he didn't do that you think the killer called the cops someone must have called he said someone who was passing by someone said the guy like you I sucked at the last of the roach passed it back I handed him my information you remember something you forgot maybe call me I drove roundabout through the city at night. I felt in a rush to get nowhere directly. I drove along Esplanade, watching the trees, and I circled the statue of Beauregard twice, only to drive through the first of the park, looping around the museum, up Carrollton. I poked around when I got home. I ate peanut butter at the cupboard. I showered. I looked at social media and watched some clips of mine and Rob's. Before long, I stood in my crowded bookcase where my face had been drawn and was scanning the spines, novels, forensics, photography books, and I'm not sure what brought me to find E.J. Belloc, the book that I had of his Storyville portraits, but in strange elapsed time I was fluttering through it, sitting down on the floor when I grew tired of standing, shaking a Takate from the twelver in the fridge and gulping it down in a kneeling position. It straightened me instantly. That's when I saw it. Woman reclining on a rattan couch. She was who I'd come to find, this girl who was stretched out at ease on her divan. And she is only one, of course, of a great many women who modeled for Belloc. Yet this woman is different, too. Her hair is long and chestnut brown and tangles bright along her shoulders. She peers at you from the top of her skull. She is naked and white. You can see her triangle. She lies on her side looking into the lens, one of her arms pinned beneath her. He had walked along Basin Street clutching his camera, befriending the girls in the doorways and windows. He'd gotten them to pose for him in the various rooms of the district's apartments. Some people said he was humpbacked, a dwarf. Some people pegged him a hydrocephalic. Some of them claimed he was both, a chimera, that from whatever angle you saw him, he changed. To finance his life, he had photographed frigates for a shipping magnate in the New Orleans harbor. Me and Rob had found X in the same attitude as the woman in the Belloc, stretching naked on her couch. Their genders were different, I knew that of course, but the posing of both of them, that was the same. The killer had studied the picture from Belloc, and then he had manhandled X like a doll. Had X had the book? It was possible, probably. I saw Belloc's picture propped up on the wall between a pair of black-gloved hands, some unseen torso stepping back to frame the murder's missing scene. What had the killer been onto with Belloc? It seemed to me more than a little symbolic. The woman in Belloq's original portrait is a staunch veteran of the oldest profession. Was the killer implying that X was a whore, that he had done whorish and unseemly things? He posed him naked, after all, with that carving knife rammed to the hilt in his chest, intimate means to an intimate murder, a spread from Playgirl with a terrible twist. He'd had to do it pretty quick, the time of death had been determined. They gauged it had happened at 8.58. The call came in at 9.07. Me and Rob had gotten there, best I could say, at 9.15. X's girlfriend had all but gone out of her way to mention Belloc and our confab that evening, which made her the most likely suspect, of course, but also the least likely one of them all. Belloc was interesting. Interesting, huh? She had known why all along. I turned the page in Belloc's book. Next was a series of more naked women their faces redacted, scratched out of existence. Some think this the work of Belloc. Some think Belloc's brother Leo, a Jesuit priest who discovered the pictures while Belloc still lived and scratched out the faces in Christ-addled terror, hoping to save his brother's soul. It seemed to me, though, that there was a third option. The women had entered the portraitist's room. All of them wore funeral veils. When they lifted the veils to show Belloc their faces, that darkness was what Bellark saw.
0: Lineup podcast is written and produced by the lineup staff and myself, Matthew Thompson. Special thanks to voice actor Michael Bates, author Adrian Van Young, and our partners in crime at Open Road Media. Our audio producers are Chai Dengari and Andrew Kohler. Background music is by Audio Blocks, and our theme music is by Abso Facto at absofacto.com. For more information on the stories we present, Visit our website, the That's thelineup.com. That's the line up.com. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter as well, which brings you five mysteries to your inbox twice a week. This is Matthew, and that does it for me. Till next time, keep it weird.